Welcome to Disrupting Japan. Straight talk from Japan's most successful entrepreneurs. I'm Tim Romero, and thanks for joining me. I've got another great Disrupting Japan Select show for you this week. I first published this discussion with Daisuke Sasaki, the founder of Free, back in 2015. It's a great discussion about a number of topics, but it's amazing. How, as time passes, you realize how important some conversations really are. One of the things we cover in detail is Daisuke's strategy for selling enterprise software without a traditional sales force. Selling to large companies in Japan has traditionally been done with lots of manpower and frequent customer visits, and for the most part, It still is. But it's changing. And Daisuke and Free, and the strategies that we cover in this episode, are one of the big reasons that it is changing. Online and inbound enterprise sales are common in the West, but Free was one of the first companies to successfully modify and adapt it for Japan. And what Free has done? Has created a template for all startups and for other companies trying to grow their business. They provided a template on how to sell to Japanese enterprise without having to invest in an outbound sales force. And there have been some pretty exciting developments at Free as well, and I'll give you an update after the show. This one is really worth revisiting. Today, we sit down with Daisuke Sasaki of Free, one of the most innovative accounting startups in Japan. Now, innovative and accounting are two words you usually don't hear in the same sentence, and when you do, it's usually not a good thing. But Free is different. Free is disrupting a market that is so ripe for disruption that we spend a good amount of time discussing why it took so long to do it. It's a fascinating story about how regulation, industry ties, and the customers themselves all can conspire to lock an industry into a steady state, even when everyone knows the situation is bad and needs to change. And of course, we also talk about the secret to breaking through that deadlock. Now, Daisuke also hints that the disruption for HR might be next, but I'll let him tell you all about that. So let's get right to the interview. Okay, I'm sitting here with Daisuke Sasaki of Free, which is an accounting SaaS aimed at SMEs, small medium businesses. And I guess it's sort of similar to FreshBooks in America, but、uh, you can explain it much better than I can. So why don't you tell us about Free? Yeah, so basically,、uh, our product is、um, online accounting software that can automate your、um, bookkeeping or accounting tasks. And then,、uh, basically, our product、uh, will automatically sync with the, your bank account、mm-hmm. and credit card account. So, we import the、uh, bank statement or credit card statements、uh, from your bank account and we automatically categorize them. All you have to do is just click to verify. And then your accounting will be done. So it will streamline your bookkeeping quite a lot. Right.、So. Now, I think to American and European listeners,、mm-hmm. the integration with the、mm-hmm. bank accounts and the、mm-hmm. integration with the credit card companies is an obvious concept.、Uh-huh. 
But what you were doing was really new in Japan, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah, you know, our product was the, the first one to do that, actually. Like, it sounds really obvious, but... Yes, um, it does. <laughs> but, uh, like, people didn't really do that before. And also, like, all the accounting software before free were required you to have bookkeeping knowledge. So it was really hard to use, and it was designed more for accountant or bookkeepers, and not for, not for business owners. Interesting. As you said before, you know, mm -hmm. the integration with the banks and the credit cards, it's such an obvious thing. Mm -hmm. Why did it take so long? Why didn't all the accounting software packages in Japan have this bank integration? Most uh, software vendors were locked in by users. Other software has 30 years history. For them, just making a slight change will cause a lot of user complaint. Okay. Those users who's going to complain had you know good accounting skills or bookkeeping skills. So it was. It just sounds like this. There was this tremendous momentum of just we've always done it this way. Mm -hmm. There's no reason to change, mm -hmm. which is just the, the perfect need for disruption. Then. Um, yeah, for overseas listeners, this might be too obvious, but. Before launching free, I like asked a lot of people. Like, all the all the feedback I got was, "Hey, like uh, uh, we don't really need it. We are happy with the existing <laughs> accounting software." And then like uh, all you have to develop is uh, something that helped me type faster, for instance. Oh right! I was like, "Oh my God, you don't have to type anymore. Like you just have to, you know, click to verify, and then that's." fantastic right and then they're like ah oh, no well you know there might be a risk of blah 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 really so just very risk averse mm -hmm. but people have certainly taken to it well let's tell me about your customers let's talk about them right yeah now we have 380,000 uh, SMB accounts 380,000 mm -hmm. what, what do your users look like are they freelancers are they small business what, what is the breakdown? Who's using free? Yeah, mainly our customers are very small business with less than 10 employees or something like that. Okay. Right now, 70% of our accounts are business owners under income tax systems. Okay. Mm -hmm. So it's a lot of freelancers. Yeah, freelancers. 30% incorporated mm -hmm. small, medium enterprises. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Excellent. And the model's a freemium model, right? Yeah, we take freemium model. So if you are on free plan, we store data uh, only for one month. <laughs> okay, that's and not so useful for accounting software. <laughs> however, the thing is, especially for freelancers, we do accounting. If you don't have regular income for your business, right. or if your number of business transactions a year is quite limited, it's quite popular for them to do accounting only once a year. They put everything in for one month mm -hmm. when they have to do their taxes. Yeah. And, okay. And well, and then maybe just issue invoices as needed. And mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, they can issue invoices right. okay. um, for unlimited time. So basically, we keep the accounting part of the data only for one month, but we keep all the invoice data so they can still use it as an invoicing software. Okay. Well, that makes sense, though. So as they get more and more busy and get mm -hmm. bigger, they're already used to using... Yeah, free exactly. Free platform. Exactly. Nice. When we talked before, mm -hmm. you, you told me something I found very interesting, that your entire sales strategy mm -hmm. is inbound. You don't have guys in navy blue suits mm -hmm. and ties going out to talk to customers mm -hmm. in traditional Japanese style. Right. 
Tell me a bit about that. How did you, how has that gone? How have customers reacted? Yeah, I, I think um, we are the first B2B startup in Japan. Everybody in a t-shirt and yeah. shirt. So we focused on uh, uh, online marketing, get our potential customers to sign up online. I've run several B2B companies mm -hmm. here in Japan. And there's tremendous, uh, pressure is not the right word, mm -hmm. but a tremendous desire from customers, potential customers to either come by the office mm -hmm. or to have you go out and do a presentation. And mm -hmm. Do you still get that and how do you deal with it? We actually don't get so much request to actually visit the customer. Initially, we didn't even have phone number. At that time, we got a lot of respects, uh, requests having a chat on the phone. Uh, initially, we didn't even do that. Not even talking to prospects on the phone? No, no. Okay, that, that's kind of radical even. Yeah. Okay. We were, we were really focused on uh, email. And initially, we uh, launched chat support. Right. Yeah, chat support was quite well accepted. So what, what was the logic behind that? Usually, startup founders will try to do anything to mm -hmm. get those initial customers in and make them happy. So what was your thought process that led you to decide no phone, Part of it is just because we didn't have resources initially. So well, that's a good reason. Yeah. <laughs> so initially, like I was one of the engineers actually working on the product. They're developing it. Two months after its launch, uh, we hired the first customer service guy. Uh, also, the other reason is that um, initially we are quite focused on uh, innovators. So for instance, we supported only uh, Google Chrome and we didn't support uh, Internet Explorer. Oh, wow. So there was no way for less tech-savvy people yeah. to use free. There was no way for them. And again, for overseas listeners might yeah. be surprised, Windows still is very powerful in Japan. It's powerful. You know, Internet especially Explorer. on the business side, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but uh, you know, by not supporting Internet Explorer, it's relatively easy to focus on tech-savvy people. They're generally fine without uh, any phone support or you know, okay. actually visiting so on site. That makes sense. So the whole company was kind of, everything was targeted at mm. these tech-savvy new companies, early yeah. adopter types. Yeah. Japanese SMBs, normally want you know, actual customer visits, right? Oh, yeah. But the but, uh, reason for that is they need to trust in the company trying to like, sell something yeah, to yeah. you, right? However, as long as trust is built, then uh, you don't really have to send people. What are the things you did to build that trust online? What did you do to, to, to build that trust without the face-to-face -face meetings? One thing is, it's gross. If you are uh, driving gross and then uh, uh, showing if you can successfully communicate that to the market, then uh, it's self-explanatory. That's one thing. And then also, if a lot of users are using it, you may uh, hear about it from your friends or then um, it's easier to get the trust. Thirdly, we are accounting software, so it's also important to engage um, uh, tax advisors. For them, we do face-to-face uh, -face conversation. We invite them to our office and we uh, have seminars here and then now uh, we have face-to-face okay. -face conversation. So we do, we still keep a scalable way. Right, but you say the face-to-face -face meetings more for, well, tax advisors are more like channel partners. Still, for them, it's more like uh, inbound because uh, in more cases, end users get interested in free and they ask 
uh, about free to tax oh, advisors. Okay. So that's how a lot of tax advisors are willing to visit our office. Are these very conservative tax advisors sometimes surprised to come here and find the this accounting software companies being run by a bunch of guys in t-shirts? And- <laughs> yeah, yeah, they uh, they get very surprised. <laughs> must be happy with it because it's uh, yeah it's a new experience and then um, uh, actually a lot of uh, tax advisors are kind of tired of industry not changing not changing for a long time so well that's true there's not a whole lot of new things that happen in accounting yeah yeah which is which is probably good really Mm. (laughs) and yeah it's good to witness that because we are still in a very early stage yeah. Well, actually, talking about the early days, and you mm-hmm. were mentioning you were you were programming this. Mm-hmm. Now you raised funds pretty early. I mean, you mm-hmm. you started in a very stealth mode. Mm-hmm. You raised funds much sooner than most companies do. Yes. You didn't go the incubator route. You didn't really do the bootstrapping route. Well, basically, I kind of bootstrapped my oh, okay. company in um, July 2012. We founded the company. And then we uh, did our first uh, fundraising round uh, in December. Our plan was to do a product launch by bootstrapping. But when we were working on the product development, we got some approach from venture capitals. And then uh, I kind of changed my mind. Okay, it might be better to uh, do fundraising before product launch so that I can do better product launch. Right, right. With, uh, you know, marketing materials or we did a press event and also we can add some trust to the product by saying that hey like this is also backed by venture capital so so at that point the investors were really just investing in you and the rest of the team and a good idea yeah it was really a team bet the fact that it was founded by three technical people Mm -hmm. makes me less surprised that you didn't support windows Yeah, we are really, you know, development-oriented team. But, but this is something interesting because even in America, mm-hmm. I mean, you can go to, you know, almost any high-tech company. Yeah. And, you know, when you walk in through engineering, you'll see the little Apple logos glowing on the back of laptops. Mm-hmm. But if you walk to the back into mm-hmm. accounting, that does seem to be the last bastion of unconquerable mm-hmm. Windows-dominated territory. Right. Why do you think that is? Do you think it's just that inertia? Or do you think it's a lack of powerful accounting apps on Mac? Yeah, I think the, the latter one is the truth. It's before free, there was no accounting software supporting Mac. Right. So uh, when you start a business, if you start to work with tax advisors, the first advice you would get, hey, buy a Windows machine. If really? Run business, yes. <laughs> there was no other way in the past. In that time, there was no choice for accountants to buy, to buy Mac or, well, some of them actually have Mac, but they also had to have Windows. As for well, work. For work. Yeah. So that was a, that was a history and somebody, somebody needed to change. Right, right. Well, somebody's got to be first. Yeah, somebody got to be first. And, and then so Instead of moving to the Mac, you're mm-hmm. moving to the cloud. Mm-hmm. But even moving to the cloud, are Japanese companies hesitant to put their accounting data on the cloud? Not really. Okay. SMBs don't have much preference, I think. All right. There are two stories. So first of all, like after the earthquake, 
a lot of Japanese companies are more interested in the cloud. They lean toward cloud oh, right, because right. they understand, oh yeah, like, you know. The importance if, of backup and stability yeah. and accessibility. Yeah, yeah. Physical, physical storage is a, has a huge risk. So that's, my, from my point of view, that's true uh, for the companies who have IT departments. They have that kind of mindset. But for small business owners, in their personal life, they use Google, they use Gmail. Cloud is natural choice. Okay. I guess um, kind of the misunderstanding about small business is like when somebody mentioned B2B business, like they always think about uh, businesses with IT department. Of mm. course, if you have 100 employees or like 300 employees, those companies will have IT people, I would say. And then they are still categorized as SMBs. And a lot of those IT people are fighting to protect their territory. Yeah. And they're the 20 servers that they're in charge of. Yeah. Okay. And the businesses who don't have IT people are completely different. When I think about SMBs, I really look at that segment. And for them, the most important thing is uh, convenience for business owners. So, yeah. Well, actually, when you think of it, accounting software has always been kind of on the cutting edge of computer use, like uh, VisiCalc and Peachtree mm-hmm. were some of the very yeah. first commercial software right. products right. ever. Yeah. So what took so long for people to realize that this model of having the accounting in the cloud made sense for Japan? That's an interesting question. When I was uh, 10 years old, my father bought a personal computer, and then uh, he also bought two software. One was a game, right. and uh, the other one was accounting software. And then imagine how game evolved since then. Like, yeah, that's true. You know, it's completely different oh, wow, yeah. the game at the time with uh, 20 floppy <laughs> disks. Like, each time you hit a certain event, like, you have to change the disk. Yeah, I remember you so, do the disk swapping time, yeah, just in and out, in and out. Yeah, yeah. that's stupid. But accounting software, still the same. Yeah, so, that's true. <laughs> so that was really a problem. I, I think one of the uh, reasons, especially in this market, is risk averse nature. Mm-hmm. And also, it's a supplier-side problem. They listen to customer voice too much. Uh, it's right, important right. to you know listen to feedback, and uh, it's also important to understand what's the problem of this customer. Right. But uh, if you just uh, completely follow what the customers say, you can never introduce innovation. So it's, yeah, that's true. If you if you only listen to customers, you end up with lots and lots of small improvements. Yeah. 20,000 features in a very mm-hmm. hard to use interface. Yeah, exactly. Actually, pretty much describes most Japanese accounting software. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it's all about incremental improvement. And the other thing is actually the leading accounting software company has been owned by a private equity fund for a long time. Uh, they did a LBO, and right. all the money that was earned was spent on returning the loan. To buy ah, that okay, company. so there was not a whole lot of money for innovation. Yeah, but I still think the the first risk averse nature is uh, is big in Japan. Uh, for instance, like I wo- I worked for Google at that time. It's really difficult to convince the internal people to say, hey, like you know, this worked in U.S. Uh, this must 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 be working in Japan too. So oh, we should oh, definitely yes. do that. <laughs> and, uh, 
all the people would say, "Hey, like Japan is different." Yeah. Without, without even thinking, they start oh, well, to say. What's the story of my life? I brought a number <laughs> of foreign companies into Japan, and that's yeah. well. Tell me about your Japanese customers. <laughs> like, ah, well. <laughs> Yeah, so yeah. it always happens. So even without launching a new program, every time somebody tries to import something, Japanese people is going to be quite against that. Have Have you seen the large accounting software companies reacting to free? Are they now trying to incorporate that into their own product line? Yes, yes. So now traditional companies also launched a cloud-based product, try to take a flavor of our product too. But our product has fundamental difference from the uh, traditional accounting software. Traditional accounting software had a dual entry bookkeeping interface. Sure. But uh, what we have is much simpler one. These two are kind of incompatible. So it's not possible to completely clone our product. So what they're putting up on the cloud, is it more just a cloud-enabled version of their existing software? Yeah. Ah, okay. And a little bit more user-friendly. That's interesting. With with the latest big investment now, mm-hmm. what's next for free? So far, you've, you've been focusing on uh, SMEs. Mm-hmm. You've done a lot of integrations, not only with banks, but I think like a point-of-sale systems mm-hmm. as well, right, for mm-hmm. small shops. Yeah. Are you planning on moving, using the money to challenge the larger companies, becoming more enterprise friendly? Are you going to be moving horizontally? I know you've talked about uh, receipt management. Mm -hmm. What's, What's coming next? Yeah, so what's coming next uh, is a payroll product. So we launched a payroll product last year. It's been growing really fast. The key milestone for our payroll product is um, the beginning of next year. Okay. So what's going to happen in the beginning of next year is um, uh, introduction of uh, social security number system by Japanese government. Right, right. Which is called uh, My Number. What that means to Japanese small business is like, uh, businesses have to manage the My Number. And that means um, all the businesses have to upgrade or replace the payroll software. So there will be a, a huge growth opportunity for us uh, happening in the beginning of the next year. To, to maximize that opportunity, we're adding more salespeople and marketing people, and also uh, re- trying to reinforce um, our development team. So that's what we do. And okay. actually, right now we have a sales team, and uh, as opposed to what I said, um, <laughs> And it, that's because uh, right now we also do uh, uh, phone sales. We, uh, okay, um, so you are doing more outbound. Not really outbound because um, it's more like customers create an account and we just support them, support okay. the pre plan users, and then uh, try to you know, convert uh, into paying customers. And it's actually interesting because um, we, we get like so much thank you from our, our customers after our sales reps talk to them because uh, they understand oh, that's great. how their accounting tasks will be easier and they understand how to use it much better. It's quite different from the traditional sales process, but still it's sales team. So they have target, they have... Right, right. So there's no immediate plans to hire a traditional sales force and go sell to enterprise mm-hmm. accounts just yet? Not yet, not yet. Our target is like a business is up to 100 employees. Okay. So if we think about the, the current users, most of our customers are businesses less than 10 employees. So we are targeting slightly larger companies. So step well. by step. Yeah, step by step. 
let's let's shift gears for a little bit and and talk about startups in Japan in general because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. you've been involved in well a few of them now. What's the most common mistake that mm-hmm. you see Japanese startup founders making? Japanese tend to listen to customer too much. So ah. that's uh, I think that's one of the pitfall for a lot of Japanese entrepreneurs. People would say that hey like you should listen to customer, you should get the feedback of your beta beta users. Of course, like if you present something new, you have to discount what the, uh, those testers would say sure, because sure. Uh, when they uh, listen to the feedback, they started saying, "Oh yeah, I've got a pivot, I've got a pivot," and then they just pivot. So you think them. they lose track of their own vision? Yeah, lose track the the vision exactly. Yeah. So that's one thing. The other thing is that it's not really a typical mistake, but I, I would say opportunity. There aren't so many enterprise startups. When you say enterprise startups, do you mean companies selling selling goods and services to enterprises? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, there aren't many B two B like startup. The reason is a lot of Japanese startups, the entrepreneurs are quite young and then uh, they're yeah. fresh out of the college, so they don't really uh, know what are the challenges for you know SMB owners. What are the pains? Yeah, that, you know. People working in big companies have, or you know, what are the pains for business owners? I guess that's true, but but most most successful founders are mm-hmm. solving either their own problems or problems they see around them, right? Yeah, yeah. Which is probably why we see so many dating apps and food sharing apps. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I mean, still, I I see a lot of early stage entrepreneurs, and they uh, come to me with the idea of you know, yeah, dating app, food, uh, right? Yeah. Thing or you know, communication apps. Well, now, you yourself didn't make mm-hmm. either of those two mistakes. So, mm-hmm. if you could go back mm-hmm. a couple of years to mm-hmm. when you were just starting. Mm-hmm. What advice would you give to yourself? Yeah, I think how to build an organization is um, in our company we share uh, like all the meeting notes and right. you know, we uh, try to be transparent as much as possible and we always talk about our mission and the values and that's quite different from traditional Japanese companies. Oh, very much so. And even startups don't do that. I think it's because in Japan the so people don't quit the company, right? And because of that nature, HR skills didn't really evolve here. You know, in, uh, in the 80s or 90s, Japanese companies did uh, really good because uh, Japanese personality really fit with um, uh, manufacturing industry. Right? Yeah, but that, that's an interesting point. So, I mean, because, you know, okay, there's not lifetime employment mm-hmm. anymore, but... Mm-hmm. HR basically did get lazy. Mm-hmm. They had the employees would stay with them. Yep. They recruited. They got used to recruiting hundreds or even thousands of employees fresh out of school. Mm-hmm. They put them through the same training course. Yeah, they didn't do anything. Yeah, and so that's right. I guess it, they really are being challenged now that they have to learn skills of retention and yeah, exactly um, recruiting and mm-hmm. huh. Like I observed that Google invests like this kind of things in people. Google has spent some fantastic things uh-huh. for the employees and the mm-hmm. key things. What, what sort of things have you done here at Free that, that are inspired by Google? So we do a lot of one-on-ones. 
like everybody understands that、um, in what sense they are adding the value, and then、um, they set the the goal by themselves. So they organically. Tries to contribute to the. Well,、company. that's. I mean, wow. Two, you're hitting two of the most important things、mm. right away. If people are, they feel like they're in control of what、mm. they're working on,、uh-huh. and they understand why what they're working on has、mm. meaning to everyone else.、Mm-hmm. That's two of the most important things you can give an employee. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we also have、um, all hands frequently.、Uh, we have a culture that asking a lot of questions. So、uh, very open, transparent.、That. Yeah. So I, so I think that that was important. I mean, like in Japanese companies, even the company size is like just three thousand employees. When I worked for that company, I have never seen a CEO in my two years experience. Yeah, yeah. I didn't have any opportunities to see that person, even from hundred meters away. It is. Yeah, Japan. It it it's run like、uh, little kingdoms.、Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Well, let me let me ask you this then. If you could change anything, if I gave you a a magic wand、mm-hmm. and said you can change anything about Japan to make it better for entrepreneurs,、mm-hmm. what would you change? Just one. Just one. Well, you can do two if you want. <laughs> <laughs> so I have two ideas. The first idea to figure out. How I can do it is very hard. So that one is.、Um, What's、well, the magic wand? You don't have to worry about how you get it done. <laughs> okay, so it's <laughs> it's so, magic. So it's about more women to have career because.、Um, so you、oh. mean just in startups or for business in general? In general. Okay. In general. Okay. So the reason is here. So、uh, when I talk with people who are potentially interested in、uh, starting their own business or even try to change a job to move to startups. And one of the key bottleneck is their family, because most of the time their wives are housewives. Yeah, a lot of the founders who've been on this show have、mm-hmm. had stories of how they've had to negotiate with their wife. Yeah, or or even worse, their wife's parents. Yeah, about starting their company and、yeah. how risky it is. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But like, for instance, like if your wife is Cheryl Sandberg, what are you gonna do? Yeah. You're not too worried about、uh, taking the risk, the financial risk of starting a company. Yeah, yeah. exactly, exactly. If your wife is just a director at Google, then、uh, well, that makes sense. I mean,、risk. having two incomes removes a whole lot of that financial risk. Yes, right. You have that kind of person in your family, then、um, like you can take more risks. That makes sense, though.、Mm-hmm. That does. Okay, <laughs> excellent. I don't know how. I don't know how I can do it. Well, like I say, it's a magic wand, so we don't have、yeah. to worry about that. <laughs> What's the other thing you would change? The other thing is stopping a lifetime empo- employment at the government offshore. Okay. So, but why would that be good for startups?、Um, because. For high school student in Japan, the、uh, most popular job is government becoming government official. Sure, very stable, pays well. Yeah, yeah. So if kind of the last result is killed, then、ah, okay, what's gonna happen? So ah, that's true. That is the last little bastion of lifetime employment in Japan. Yeah,、right? companies don't do it anymore.、Mm-hmm. It's just the government. Yeah. And you know, lawyer. There are so many lawyers, so it's already competitive. Accountants, it's also competitive. Yeah. So there is no. So you have to really work on your skills. You have to take risks without、huh. that、okay. uh, government offshore career opportunity. So we want to have 
more women in, in mm-hmm. business mm-hmm. and end of lifetime employment for government employees. Yes. That would be good. Yeah. And this, this has been a great discussion. I have no mm-hmm. idea how I'm going to edit this down to 30 minutes. <laughs> um, but before we wrap up, is there anything you want to tell our listeners? There's one thing interesting is SaaS business is really in the beginning. The toughest part is you don't find public companies that are focused on SaaS business. In Japan. In Japan. Yeah. Yet. So that's why for SaaS companies to raise funds has been a bit difficult in Japan because uh, you don't really have a benchmark companies in the market. But there's a few, like Salesforce is the, the obvious example, right? Yeah, yeah, but they're not listed in Japan. And Japanese venture capitals don't look at the foreign oh, stock exchange. They just That's benchmark true. only Tokyo Stock Exchange. But uh, like if you are in the US, oh, this is SaaS, and the SaaS company have valuation under this formula. Sure, there's a long list of them. Yeah, so they're really good way of benchmarking the company mm-hmm. already. But in Japan, it's, it doesn't still exist. You think so, we'll be seeing more of them soon? Yeah, that's what I'm trying to do. So right. I want to really, you know, pioneer in that area to really change the market perception and uh, what's possible. And um, so, yeah, that's what, what I, I want to do. Well, fantastic. I'll look, I'll look forward to that. Yeah. So okay. thanks for sitting down with me. This has been great. Yeah, it's been great. Thank you very much. You bet. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a tough interview, though, but uh, it's fun. And we're back. I think Daisuke hit on one of the most challenging parts of disruptive innovation and why so many Japanese companies find it challenging to bring disruptive technologies to market today. The fact is, existing users don't want to be disrupted. They want minor, sustaining improvements that don't require them to change the way they approach their problems. The fact that Japanese startup founders often find it very hard to say no to customer requests makes it even more likely that they'll abandon their own disruptive vision and embrace the path of many small, incremental improvements. So, will Free continue to focus on the new and fertile market of SME accounting, or will they start to move upstream and truly disrupt the enterprise market and take on the major players head-on? Well, we'll have to wait and see. Either way, we'll be hearing a lot more about free in the future. Well, it turns out the future is now, and we have indeed been hearing a lot more about free. In many ways, things have played out exactly as Daisuke explained two and a half years ago. Free has become a darling of government and venture capital startup awards. But more importantly... Free has increased their user base to include many of the largest companies in Japan. With Free's revenues and growth, they could easily go public. But many founders in Japan today are resisting the traditional quick, low-valuation IPO on a smaller exchange. They're staying private longer and growing faster. In fact, Daisuke has said he has no plans to IPO until he can do it on the first section of the Tokyo Stock Exchange, alongside Toyota, Mitsubishi, Panasonic, and other world-class Japanese companies. And there is no doubt that Daisuke and Free are going to get there. In fact, 
In the near future, I've got an episode that will explain why software as a service is uniquely suited to Japan, and why, in the long run, SaaS offerings will make up a much larger share of the software market in Japan than they will in America. If you want to talk more about software as a service or selling software in Japan, Daisuke and I would love to hear from you. So come by disruptingjapan.com and let's talk about it. And you know, I, I always tell you to check us out on LinkedIn and Facebook. And, and yeah, yeah, please do that if you get a chance. But if you love the show, tell a friend about it. When someone asks you about startups in Japan, let them know about disrupting Japan. I want to believe in this age of social media manipulation that an honest recommendation carries far more weight. But most of all, thanks for listening. And thank you for letting people interested in Japanese startups and innovation know about the show. I'm Tim Romero, and thanks for listening to Disrupting Japan.